0: In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 4 through 5. Why do we light the second candle? Let's respond together. The second candle reminds us that the prophets waited for a Messiah to come and save the people. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1. Jesus is God's final word. He fulfills Old Testament prophecies that point to him. not only sets in motion, but finishes God's redemptive plan for his people. On the cross, bearing the sins of all those who believed and would believe in him, Jesus said these marvelous words, it is finished. Nothing more needs to be added or changed in order for people to have a relationship with God. Nothing in history will change the finality of Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus is all we need. Without Jesus, our communication from God would have been indirect, impersonal, and distant. In Jesus, we have the very word of God, the most direct, personal, meaningful communication God could ever give us, available to everyone who seeks him. Jesus is the word of God made accessible to old and young, schooled and illiterate, Jew and Gentile, past and present. And in this word become flesh, we see the greatest manifestation of God's love. Today, we light a candle to remind us that the prophets waited for a Messiah to come and save his people. Prepare the way for the Lord. Isaiah 43.
1: (laughs) Amen. Thanks, guys. Love that. Kids, you are dismissed to go ahead and go to your classrooms. <laughs> Some of you obeying that. We don't need to walk. I, you, you know, it is what it is. For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the Book of Isaiah, chapter forty. That's where we're going to be this morning. I have up in uh, all capital letters at the very top of my notes. Don't go up before the Advent reading to hopefully avoid what happened last week when I messed everything up. So. Um, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. The way I always find Isaiah, by the way, is you go to the middle of your Bible, look for the book of Psalms, and then just kind of keep going forward a few books. You'll eventually run into Isaiah we going to be in verses 1 to 5. We're celebrating the second week of Advent together as we light the second candle. Some of you might be thinking, isn't it technically the third week of Advent? Yes, but we're celebrating the second week of Advent, okay? We're just doing a little different, and you're all going to be okay with that, all right? So don't want to hear any complaints. Celebrating the second week of Advent together. As we've been reading through this book, Unwrapping the Names of Jesus... Going through the themes that we find in that book, last week we talked about hope, hope, the incarnation. The coming of Jesus does two things in regards to hope is what we talked about last week. It both fulfills the hope that we had for a Savior. We needed a Savior to come for 400 years Israel waited in silence, not hearing anything from God, until hope appeared in a manger. It fulfills the hope we had for a Savior, and it gives us now hope for the future, because Jesus is coming back, and the fact that he came the first time in a manger gives us hope to know with certainty that he's coming back Again, so the encouragement for us, as we saw last week, is that no matter what you're going through, you can have hope because Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he'll make all things new and all things right. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Well, this week, our Advent theme is preparation. Preparation. We're going to look at this idea of preparing our hearts to receive Jesus. Like I said, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. So hopefully you've turned there, and I'll pray for us, and then we will begin. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, once again, we thank you for this season of Advent, of remembering that our Savior came to earth to save his people from their sins. We are great sinners, God, but we have and even greater Savior. So we praise you for that this morning. As we look to your word in Isaiah chapter 40 and talk about preparation and what that means, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want for us in your word. We thank you for your word, for your truth. We ask that you do a mighty work. Fill this place with your spirit, God. Guard my mouth and my tongue as I preach. Give me a humble heart and give us humble hearts to receive it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we talk about preparation this morning. There's certainly no day on the calendar that commands as much preparation from us as Christmas Day. There is a lot of preparation that goes into getting ready for Christmas. In fact, if it wasn't for all that preparation, if we didn't do anything to lead up to Christmas and then we just woke up and it was Christmas morning, it wouldn't even feel like Christmas, right? Like we need the preparation. There's even great debate over like when exactly those preparations can begin, right? There's some people who think you can start as early as you want. You can start before Thanksgiving if you want to. And then there's normal people who say, actually, you have to at least wait until Thanksgiving before you can start uh, decorating your house for Christmas. There's almost no end to the things that need to be done to prepare, right? You got to, in our house, at least we have to cut down a Christmas tree. And then you got to lug it home and put it up and decorate it with lights and ornaments. And you got to put up the lights outside. You need to buy presents for everyone on your list. You need to bake cookies. You need to make plans with relatives about whose house you're going to and when. You need to clean your house oftentimes. You need to just all sorts of things. Parties need to be hosted, marshmallows need to be toasted, you need to go caroling out in the snow, like there's just like the to-do list just goes on and on and on, right? And this all kind of builds... Throughout the month of December, until we get to Christmas Eve, right? And then at Christmas Eve, you go to bed, and all the presents are under the tree. And in our house, Emily can never fall asleep on Christmas Eve. She's always way too excited for Christmas the next morning. It drives me crazy. She's just tossing and turning all night. It all builds, right? And the presents are under the tree. And then the next morning, you wake up, and you have Christmas, don't you? And you... Eat good food and you open presents and go to grandma's house and whatever else you do in your family and traditions on Christmas Day. But there's always this time, isn't there, on Christmas Day when like all the presents have been unwrapped. So like the anticipation is now over and all the presents have been unwrapped and all the food has been eaten. And all there's left to do is like watch a a bad NBA game of two teams you don't care about. And um, it kind of hits you in this moment like this kind of feeling of ugh. It's over now. That's it. And now you just think about, i got to somehow get this tree out of my house and take the lights down and take the decorations down. And i got this sweater that doesn't fit me anymore because of all this food I've been eating in the month of December. i got to take that back and get a bigger one. You know, all these things that need to happen. And it kind of just hits you. Ugh, it's, what I wanted for Christmas just isn't quite satisfied. Fulfilled. I'm not trying to be a downer here, but even in the emo- like an ideal world, the most wonderful time of the year will always let you down one way or another. And there's a reason for that, which is that as human beings, we kind of how we all are created with these longings that we want to be satisfied and fulfilled. And Christmas Day can't satisfy those deepest longings. You see, I mean, this phenomenon happens all over in other areas of life too. Like what's a better feeling in life than when you're leaving freezing cold Indiana to go somewhere warm on vacation. You step off that airplane for the first time and the warmth hits you. It's like the best feeling in the world. What's the worst feeling in the world? The opposite. You fly back to freezing cold Indiana, you step off that airplane and real life just hits you with a blast of cold air in the face. You realize it's all over now. You go on and on, there's plenty of different examples. Things that we anticipate, we get excited for, and you go through those things, and then there's just always just something inside you that is just a little bit let down. And, and the point is this, that we have longings in our hearts. We all have desires, things we want, and that's not a bad thing. These are good things, but no matter how good they are, they will never be able to satisfy what's in your heart. Your deepest desires are always going to be just a little bit out of reach of the things in this world that you try to use to satisfy them. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity. Maybe you've read this book before or at least heard this quote, but this is what he says. It should be on your screen. It says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. He says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another What he's saying is that you you can't have a desire unless the satisfaction of that desire exists. If you feel thirsty, well, it's because water exists to drink to satisfy your thirst. And yet, he says we all have these longings and these desires in our hearts that can never quite be fully and completely satisfied for any length of time. And the reason for that is because nothing in this world was ever meant to satisfy those desires. We were created for another world. So let's bring it back to Christmas. Think about the time in the Christmas season that makes you feel just the warmest and fuzziest in the inside, right? For me, it's our uh, Christmas Eve service when we all light, they turn off all the lights and we light the candles and we sing Silent Night. That's like my favorite moment of the whole year. But whatever it is for you, like put yourself there, like in that moment where like everything just feels right. Everything is as it should be. That moment, what C.S. Lewis says, is a copy or an echo of the real thing. It's pointing us to something even greater than that. It's good to pursue and enjoy these moments, but they should not be mistaken for our ultimate purpose or our ultimate objective in our lives because they can't ultimately satisfy. And so the question I have for us this morning in the second week of Advent is simply this. What are you preparing your heart for? What are you preparing your heart for? Are you preparing your heart to be let down by lesser things? Or are you preparing your heart to receive the one who can fulfill and satisfy your deepest longings in your heart? That question, what are you preparing for, is what our passage addresses this morning in Isaiah chapter 40. What are you preparing for? Our passage in Isaiah chapter 40, we, as we pick up in the middle of the book of Isaiah, we're actually picking up on a key hinge point in the book. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah have all been addressed to his contemporaries, the people he's living with in Israel. And there's been one unified theme throughout the entire first 39 chapters of Isaiah, which is a message of confrontation. Confrontation of confrontation. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are all are filled with Isaiah the prophet confronting the people of Israel because they've deserted and forgotten their God. Now Israel is thinking that God has forgotten them, but what Isaiah is reminding them in those first 39 chapters is that they in fact are the ones who have forgotten god. And at the end of ch- of that section in chapter 39, it ends with this message of doom for the people of Israel. Isaiah says that you are going to be captured and exiled in Babylon. And all you're going to be defeated by the Babylonians, he said, and all will be lost. He says in verse 6, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. That's good news, huh? Nothing shall be left. You're going to lose everything. That's the message. Of the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. And then in chapter 40, Isaiah does something fascinating. He fasts forward. 200 years and starts addressing the people who have been living in Babylonian exile in the future. It is like a stark turn. In fact, it's such a stark turn that many scholars believe that Isaiah was written by multiple authors because there's no way that one author could have written to one people and then 200 years later written to another people. We disagree with that because the Holy Spirit is the one who directs and guides the the writing of Scripture. And so, of course, he's able to to address people 200 years in the future with accuracy because God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who is directing that. So he turns and he addresses people now who have been living in Babylonian exile, who are suffering the consequences of forgetting God. And this is the message that he has for them. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double, like double payment for all her sins. Her sins have now been completely paid for. Praise the Lord! What a message that would be to receive, right? As you're living in Babylonian exile for 200 years, you're suffering the consequence of your sin, and then what's God's message? Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to my people. Your warfare is ended. Your iniquity, your sins are pardoned. He's forgiven you. God was not going to leave them in their sin. He wasn't going to leave them in exile. There was going to be a comfort. The war would end. The sin would end would be paid for. How paid for? How could this be? Why would they be able to have hope? Verse 3. A, verse, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough Places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What was the hope of Israel? God was coming. God was coming, and his glory would be revealed. What's our hope? The glory of God. It's the same Hope. The good news for us is the same as the good news for Israel. God doesn't leave his people in their sin. He doesn't leave them hopeless. He doesn't give up on them. Do we sin? Yes. Do we suffer consequences for our sin? Yes. But God doesn't leave us there. He gives us hope. And the hope for Israel is that God would come. There's comfort for you Israel because God is coming. And so the question that you would have, you would be thankful to hear that message, but what would your question be? Well, when? And how? And where? Right? This is what's cool about scripture. We don't have to wonder that. We have the whole story. I love this. Matthew chapter 3. We're introduced in the New Testament, we're introduced to someone named John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a message. Listen to what he said, Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 3, this is the key part. For he, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So what's John the Baptist's message? He's here now. This is him. This is the one Isaiah was talking about. He's been born. He's on earth right now. And his name is Jesus. So prepare the way of the Lord. This is the one who can save you. This is the one who can satisfy your deepest longings. This is the one who can fulfill your greatest desires. Those things in your heart that show that you weren't created for this world. This man is the only one who can satisfy. It's like the donut man. Anyone grow up on the donut man? Raise your hand. There's got to be some people in here who raise... Okay, this is for the three of you who will get this reference... The Donut Man. I'm not going to make you sing it with me. Well, I remember it. Life without Jesus. You're like, what's going on? There you go. It's like a donut. Because there's a hole in the middle of your heart. And then what happens? I'm going to sing the whole thing. But Jesus takes your heart. He satisfies your soul. Like a great big nugget in a donut hole. That was really bad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's not, let's not like clip that video and use that for anything in the future, please. (laughs) Jesus is the one who can satisfy those longings that we have. We all have this God shaped hole in our hearts, whether you grew up watching The Donut Man or not. We all have this God shaped hole in our hearts. And what do we try to do? We try to fill it with lesser things, don't we? Things that aren't going to satisfy. Things that can't fulfill us. So what does Jesus do? He satisfies. So it brings us around to our original question. What are you preparing for? Are you preparing your heart for Jesus to come in and be the one who satisfies fully and completely? God cries out through Isaiah, in the wilderness of your heart. That's when he talks about the wilderness. He's talking about in the wilderness of your heart. Your heart is like a wilderness without God. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make the path straight for him to come in. So what does that look like to do that? What does that look like to prepare your heart for Jesus? Well, it's very different than like preparing your house for somebody to come over it's not the same you know, we've all had this experience right where your house is just a mess it's just a wreck and uh you hear that dread the doorbell rings you're like oh no somebody's stopping by what do you do you look around first of all you assess the situation okay are there just some key doors that I can close or is there, like, is there, like, is the junk all contained in one room that I can just quick throw it into a closet and shut that door? Or maybe if it's, like, you're, like, really desperate. We've all done this move where you, like, open the door just to crack and kind of stand and try to block it, right, so they can't see anything past you. We try to do that, right? And yet, do we not do the same when it comes to the Lord? Is that not our natural human instinct, when God wants to come in, God, you come into this part of my heart, but I'm going to clean up that other stuff myself later. I'll handle those things. God, you're welcome to come on into this part, which looks right, really nice and clean. You come on in there. I'm going to hide this other stuff. God, I'll let you into the entryway, but I'm going to shove my addiction issues into the back closet, and I'll deal, I'm going to deal with those later. God, you come on into the kitchen, but don't open that door where I keep my marriage problems locked up or my explosive temper or whatever, like you fill in the blank. We all have things we want to keep from God. And the reality is that as much as we want to get rid of all that stuff, we can't do it. We can't do it. As much as we want to think we can get all that junk out of here, we can't do it. I, uh, this week I'm really... Uh, happy, my friend uh, Paul is here. We were uh, at a wedding for a college friend Big Tom last night, and uh, and Paul was there. And uh, I said, Paul, where are you coming to church? where are you going to church tomorrow morning? Come to Rock Prairie. And so he and his wife Katie are here. And uh, I was thinking about the, this story, and I think it fits um, what we're talking about this morning. There was a time in college. I, uh, you, if you know me, you won't be surprised to know that I had a certain reputation on my floor in college as being the person who uh, lost everything all the time. Like there were, I just couldn't keep track of anything. I was uh, very forgetful you say was in the past tense I have gotten a little bit better at this than I was back then but anyways this was my reputation on the floor and uh, there was something so Paul had uh, a ring that uh, reminded him of a past relationship and he just didn't he didn't want it anymore and he had an idea of how he could get rid of it he said Mike I need to lose this ring and you're the best person I know who can lose this And so I said, oh, yeah, I can do that for sure. And I think I made a plan. I was like, I'll go, and I'll maybe like go throw it in the the lake behind campus or something like that. So I stuck it in my pocket and go throughout my day. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I got to get rid of that ring. And so I go to my pocket, and I had lost the ring. (laughs) Like, oh, this is perfect. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. So I went back to my room, and uh, not 20 minutes later, Paul bursts in, opened the door, holding the ring and said, Mike, I told you to lose this ring. You left it in my room. (laughs) I'm so sorry about that. I don't remember what we did with the ring after that. But uh, here's the point. I think it all comes, comes around together. I tried to get rid of that junk, right, that reminder of the past. I was going to be the one who got rid of it, and I couldn't do it. It followed me. It carried It. It stuck with me, right? And when we tell God, I'm going to handle these things in my heart, these things that I don't want you to have any part of, we think we can do it, and we just can't. We just can't. So preparing the way for Jesus, when we read that we need to prepare our hearts for Jesus, it goes against every natural inclination that we have because we think, well, i got to clean my heart up so Jesus can come in. But it's the opposite. Jesus says, I want to come in to the messiest places because that's where I work powerfully. So you got to let him in, church. (laughs) To all of it. He wants that. What kind of God do we serve that he wants to come in? He's not repulsed by those things. He's drawn to those things. Like a physician who can heal. Doctors aren't repulsed by your sickness. They're drawn to it because they can help you be healed. Jesus is the great physician. He's drawn to those things. So prepare the way for the Lord. Meaning, fling open those doors in your heart. And let God come in and heal them. And he can and he will. And I promise you that. You've got to let him in. So what are you preparing for? Are you preparing the way for the Lord to come in to your heart and satisfy those deepest longings? What are you preparing for? Was one last question that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to preparation. As followers of Jesus, it's not only about preparing my heart for God to come in and heal those places that are wounded. It's also a question, are you preparing others? Are you preparing others? This is what John the Baptist did. I love this. John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, prophesied this about his son in Luke chapter 1. He's talking about John. He said, and you, child... You will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. That's exactly what John the Baptist did, and that's exactly what we're called to do as well. It's not about just preparing our own hearts. It's also we are called as God's people to prepare others to meet God. Well, how do I do that? Just like Zechariah said, by giving knowledge of salvation to people in the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of God. Just like John the Baptist himself, when he saw Jesus coming, what did he say? He had this great following. People were coming from all over to see John the Baptist. He was baptizing people. And as soon as Jesus shows up, What does John do? He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. It's not me. He must increase, I must decrease. That was John the Baptist who said that. There he is. And so, what do we do? We tell people, There he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We tell people, look at Jesus. Are you finding in your heart a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy? Well, guess what? You were created for another world. I'm sorry. I love that. Listen to that. Jesus came like that. <laughs> it makes you cry, doesn't it? He came just like that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're called as His people to point to Jesus. Jesus. Say, there he is. He took away my sin. He can take away your sin too. You don't have to be the most gifted evangelist in the world to point to Jesus. Say, look what he did for me. He can do it for you. He can do it for you. So this season, as we go through our preparations to celebrate Jesus coming as a baby on Christmas day, let it be a reminder that all the joys we experience on this earth. We're meant to remind us that our ultimate joy cannot and will not and never will come from this earth because we were made for a different kingdom. So prepare your heart for Jesus to come in. Don't hide your junk in the closet. Let him in. Let him in. It's a stunning thing that the God who created the universe would desire to come into every corner of our hearts and to heal us and make us whole. So preparing the way, remember, doesn't mean fixing yourself. It means letting him in where he wants to go, which is right to the deepest recesses of your heart. Prepare yourselves and prepare others. You're the messenger now. You're his messenger. You've been saved by a great Savior. So point to him. Prepare the way so others can hear the gospel and repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And only our God would ever come up with the idea that Jesus would come as a baby in a manger to take away the sin of the world. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, you're awesome. Words fail us. To describe your glory and your majesty and your greatness. And when we think about your greatness, it makes the lowliness in which you came and what you came to all the more stunning. Which then makes your faithfulness to a people who are constantly faithless even that much more amazing. And all we can say is, Great are you, Lord. Worthy, worthy is your name. We thank you. So, Lord, may we be a people who prepare our hearts to receive the fullness of healing. May we not think so low of you that we think that there are things in our hearts that you can't clean. May we open our hearts. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, God, may they open their heart to receive Jesus as their Savior. Lord, give us opportunities to prepare others to know Jesus as well. Thank you. We love you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.